Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Golick. Mike Golick Jr., Mike Golick Sr., and Jesse Cofield hanging out with us in the DraftKings studio in Boston. We got a great show for you guys today. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review us. Leave us a five-star rating. Check us out here live Monday through Friday from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern on the DraftKingsNetwork.com, the YouTube channel, Samsung TV+, Plus, Roku, and more. A uh, couple of great guests uh, for you guys today. Bryant Young. NFL Hall of Famer, former Notre Dame great and uh, 49er, going to stop by and chat with us. Uh, saw him at the game last weekend, Dad, that you were calling there, the 49ers-Packers game. He was out there with a bunch of his former teammates. And, uh, man, the 49ers alum, uh, very illustrious given their team's history. And speaking of a guy who knows a lot about that entire division, Richard Sherman, hopefully going to stop by and chat with us as well, which will be interesting perspective, Dad, because in addition to being a guy who is a Brock Purdy truther and someone who's been out there supporting, him he also played for Jim Harbaugh at Stanford and Jim Harbaugh is the flavor of the day right now as it finally freaking happened I'm sure Michigan fans even them breathed a bit of a sigh of relief as now this dance and back and forth is over and Jim Harbaugh is taking the head coaching job for the Los Angeles Chargers they even on their social media account dad put out the puffs of white smoke announcing a new hope had entered into rain in the Los Angeles Chargers so like we talked about yesterday dad not all that surprising it seemed like the matchup that everyone had thought from the start made the most sense so now how do you feel like this has an opportunity to work out how fast do you think Jim Harbaugh can get this back on track in Los Angeles well I mean we 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 know there there's no grace period anymore in the NFL it used to be at least three sometimes five years to build a program and you don't get that anymore especially with some coaches and and some owners I should say uh, who pull the trigger uh, somewhat quickly just look at Look at the Chargers where they went. They had Brandon Staley was there 23 years, right? 21 to 23. Before that, it was Anthony Lynn there from 17 to 20. So, you know, two coaches, for instance, uh, 2017, uh, probably to be beaten certainly by Tepper in Carolina as far as getting rid of coaches. But still, you don't get that long, though. Someone like Harbaugh, I mean, he was the even, you know, listen, we have to say it. Even with Bill Belichick available, Harbaugh was the grab, right? Harbaugh was yep. the cherry on top of, of this coaching cycle. And real quickly now, there were eight spots open. We have four fill. We took Brian Callahan to Tennessee. Uh, Antonio Pierce got the interim tag taken off with Vegas. Gerard Mayo in New England. And now Harbaugh with the Chargers. So, yeah, I do think he's going to get some time. And the whole thing here is why he went, and we know why he went, is in Justin Herbert is the main reason. Him getting paid wasn't going to be the issue. Him getting Justin Herbert to lead this team to a potential title was, because that's what's missing from Justin Herbert's resume. He's got all the yards and touchdowns in the world, and they have talent there, but they could never muster it. They've been the most underachieving team with the talent we look at, and you say, why aren't they better? Well, now they get a chance to be better. But it's not like, you know, Jim Harbaugh is going to go in there and snap his fingers, right? You have four players, four players, both your receivers, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, and then your two defensive pass rushers, Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack, all over $30 million cap hits this year. So you're already projected over the cap, you know, before you even get to work. So on what he needs to do, and we know the offensive talent there. Then there's the looking forward to the draft, the thought of taking um, uh, uh, why am I why am I uh, his name the tight end from Georgia, oh, Brock, Brock Bowers. Bowers. 
Brock, Brock, Brock Bowers at the thought he would take him. God, he would love that tight end. They had Gerald Everett there tied for second in receptions. But, you know, so that's down the road. So it's not like this comes with, oh, man, all our problems are solved. They have that to maneuver. What's he going to do? Can all those guys stay there? Uh, who now, the domino effect, who is he going to take from Michigan? Hopefully, Sharon Moore gets that job in Michigan. I know we'll talk about that. But this was the move everybody was waiting for and the expectation because Harbaugh, Sandy, Diego, 83% winning percentage. Stanford, 75. 49 or 69. Michigan, 77. He wins wherever he goes. He is a winning coach who has been to a Super Bowl against his brother and lost, who has won a national championship now. And the expectation is for the Chargers to take that next step and, and not only play better, but get to a Super Bowl. That's the expectation with Harbaugh. But now let's see the staff he puts together and the work he does, especially there's no real question of him on the offensive side, right? We know what he can do. What's he going to do on the defensive side? Is he going to bring Jesse Minner, the D coordinator from Michigan, over there to help that defense? Because that, that's really been an Achilles heel for them. Yeah, I think the appeal with Jim for all the reasons that you mentioned there, he's not only been a consistent winner in all these places, but he's actually been able to jumpstart it fast. And for fans of the NFL, remember his venture in San Francisco, remember how quickly they were, one, able to come in and start winning, but also get the most out of what was there. In that situation, it was Alex Smith sort of reclaiming the former number one overall pick and getting the best out of him before they turned the reins over to Colin Kaepernick in that season where Greg Roman and the pistol offense kind of helped run wild in the NFL he's able to do it so quickly making the best of what's around and maximizing it dad I, I think in a general sense and this is true with a lot of people that have been head coaches before but especially with Jim Harbaugh someone where the identity especially along the lines of scrimmage carries so much he knows what he wants with so many of the coordinator hires and certainly Brandon Staley most recently falls into that category, they're learning how to be a head coach on the fly. And with Brandon Staley, I think we saw that manifest most clearly on the outside in the way that he made some of those decisions that became the you know real lightning rod for him on fourth down aggressiveness, the areas that he was going forward and not that sort of went hyper aggressive in year one, that went back in year two and seemed like he was responding to a lot of the criticism where he was learning how to be himself as a head coach as he went went along Jim Harbaugh hits the ground running right now and for a program that's needed some help along the offensive and defensive lines for a while I think that's the biggest area and the biggest win and the reason why he'd have a chance you know you look at Zion Johnson and Rashawn Slater are highly drafted guys on the offensive line that'll have a chance I think to help right away it seems like Corey Lindsley their center is probably headed towards retirement and so they're going to have some spots to plug but I think dad just that alone walking in and knowing how you want things done and being able to communicate that to the players in a way that leaves very little doubt about what the expectation is around the program automatically raises your floor a bit just based on that alone yeah everybody knows how he wants to play right uh and and you have the quarterback you know to be able to play that you have if you yeah. can get a running game going with the old line you have a, a quarterback who can throw the ball uh, you know, something he had at Michigan, but they lived more on the run. We're still McCarthy and the, the talk of the first round. I know some of us, I know you and I are a little unsure about that, but there's no denying that Herbert can throw the ball and the expectation is for he to throw the way he's been and to take this team to the next level. And that's building it Jim's way. And that that's the one thing you always wonder as former players, when you get a new coach come in, you had it in college going from Charlie Weiss to Brian Kelly. You know, I had it going from team to team uh, in the NFL is you have different coaches and you know what to expect. You know, when I went to Philadelphia from Houston, Buddy Ryan was a coach. I knew exactly what you need to, to expect from a Buddy Ryan as a head coach. Anybody on the Chargers knows exactly what Jim Harbaugh is going to want to do. He's been there, right? He's been there already. And you always wonder about players when you get a coach in, you know, what, what, what do you think about that coach? Well, this guy has been successful in the NFL already, been successful on the college level. He comes in with instant credibility to say, my way works. And that's big. So the first thing you do is you get the stars of the team, the big money players who are going to be there to buy into what you're selling and then it trickles on down the line and I don't think there'll be any problem we we have our fun with 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 Jim Harbaugh about being sure. quirky and some of the things but my god the dude can coach 
Listen, he can coach. And I know people are going to say, oh, he cheats to do it. Whatever. Dude can coach. At all the stops he was at, he is a winner. And the Charger fans should be extremely happy right now to get this guy and finally fulfill what we all thought was going to happen right away. And I'm, and I'm glad it, it happened in the time it did because, as we know, there is the domino effect of where he leaves and coaches he wants to bring in and the whole thing. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that expectation, though, for people that go in as a player. That's all you can ask for is I know what's expected of me and I know what our standard is at every turn. I mean, hell, you mentioned when Brian Kelly came in, it was the same thing at Notre Dame. We looked and we saw, hey, the bona fides. What do you done at Cincinnati? What do you done at Central Michigan? What do you done at Grand Valley State? The guys that had gone to the pros, the success they'd have when he comes in. I mean, it was down to how we kept our lockers. That's more of a college thing, yeah. but it's the right. idea that no detail was spared in terms of how we were going to operate and that was meeting times how workouts were structured what the practice structure was going to look like when that's all spelled out it makes your job so much easier as a player to try and go out there and execute you mentioned dad a lot of the personnel decisions they have gerald everett i believe one of the guys that would, they would have to determine if they want to resign austin eckler's in that same boat after a lot of the running back market did those one-year deals and you've got all those expensive players so that's one side he's going to have to contend with the quarterback set the other thing that you brought up was the coach coaching hires that are going to potentially be there and this is where it does get interesting because Jim Harbaugh's almost got like an Ocean's Elevens feel to who he can call upon here I'm getting the old <laughs> band back together to do one more job based on who's on the market because you mentioned Greg Roman who's obviously available after last year was with him at Stanford and was with him in San Francisco for a lot of the good years uh I saw um uh I saw uh Deontay Johnson yesterday or Deontay Lee excuse me yesterday tweeting about the possibility of David Shaw, the former Stanford coach, who's someone right. available now who was on Jim Harbaugh's staff uh, working with the OCs and I believe receivers when they were at Stanford. And then defensively is where it gets interesting, Dad, because I'm like right. you. I thought Jesse Minner all the way. Their defensive coordinator with the Michigan Wolverines, if people weren't familiar was with the Baltimore Ravens and his brother John before. They basically wife-swapped with him and Mike McDonald yep. and went back there, but it's a lot of the same stuff about their defenses. Michigan was basically the Ravens of college football. But then we had the news yesterday. Vic Fangio and the Miami Dolphins agreed to mutually part ways. Now, there was some thought that Vic Fangio did it to uh, you know be closer to home and do some things. Right. He consulted for the Eagles last year before the Super Bowl, and so everyone immediately pegged him in there, but... This was also a guy who worked under Jim Harbaugh in those 49ers years on some really good defenses. And so you wonder if this is an A-team situation where all of a sudden he starts calling up all his old boys and says, hey, you got one more left in you. I think we can do something with this quarterback. Boy, that, that's, it's a great thought. And, and who wouldn't want to jump on that train? You know what you have. Mm -hmm. Now, defensively, it might be a little bit different. You have some talent there, but that has been a real thorn for that team. So you go in there and you say, okay, I got I to gotta basically rebuild this defense. Offense is sitting pretty good. And then obviously you tinker with the, the personnel that you're going to bring in. But it does get interesting. And when, as soon as I saw the Vic Fangio thing, I thought that as well. Okay, he was with Harbaugh. So though you, you wonder if the Philly thing is, is done. You know, Ron Rivera was talk yeah. with him with Philly as well. So we'll see. I mean, this is, but, but I'm with you. It's like Harbaugh, no, he wants to sit at the head of the table of his family. Okay. His dad's got a national yeah. title. He's we got a national the title. We heard all about the big boy table from him after oh, the yeah. title game. <laughs> I mean, he, he talks so much about it and his brother's got a Super Bowl. Jim now has a chance to win a national title and a Super Bowl. Uh, if he could pull that one off, yeah, he now sits at the head of the table, and that would mean a lot for him. Uh, you got to love the, the the Chargers and their social media, their tweet. Oh. Who's got it better than us? I mean, God knows we'll hear that saying uh, over and over again. But that is an interesting thing now is, like you said, how does he build out the coaching staff and what moves do they make? Because it's certainly, and he knows, it's certainly different than college on how this is all going to build out uh, with the money involved, though there's money involved in college now, but you know what I mean with contracts and such and cap numbers of what you have to do. You have to make some hard decisions. As I mentioned, four guys over 30 million. Can you fit all those, all those guys in? Do you want to fit all those guys in? Or do you want to start parting ways, you know, with some of them? You, you know one thing that Jim has a plan, that this was while he tinkered with, what was it, a couple of years ago? 
He had the interview in Minnesota, didn't get it. Kevin O'Connell got it, and he basically said, I'm, I'm done doing the NFL yeah. stuff. And then <laughs> yeah. the next year, the next year he talked Three with Denver. And you knew it was never done. It was never out of it. So you know he has a plan, not only a list of, of coaches that he wants, but a plan on how he wants to attack. Uh, because while he was in the NFL, this NFL, even though it was a little while ago he was in it, this NFL is certainly a little different today uh, than it's been. But the bottom line is, he has a quarterback so he is ahead of the game on a lot of other people because of the non-playoff teams because he's got a quarterback I think that is not insignificant what you just brought up that he has been thinking about what he would do making the jump to this level for a while now because of that you've got to go in and present that plan you've got to go in and present how you're going to operate with what the team's got when you do a lot of these interviews so it's a great thought about what the Chargers are getting which I think we all view as the consensus best coach available on this hiring cycle and that's saying a lot dad you talked about college and the void he leaves behind at Michigan now I saw Cole Kublik tweet this out just a second ago that Jim Harbaugh is the first head coach in the AP top 25 poll era to leave their school right after winning a national title to coach an NFL team so even the way people thought about Pete Carroll and USC running from potential NCAA sanctions that Michigan's still going to be waiting out in the wake of the sign stealing scandal uh, the first to do it in a way that's the ride off into the sunset mode like Jim did here and now the question is who becomes the next Michigan head coach and what are they getting ready to inherit because of all that stuff. And you mentioned the name before dad, I'm with you. This feels like it should be as easy as handing the baton to Sharon Moore, their offensive coordinator and offensive line coach who during the suspended games for Jim Harbaugh went four and zero in the games that he coached. I thought did a great job of the in-game decision-making that's in indica indicative of a guy who wasn't overwhelmed by the moment he seemed ready for it it would provide continuity for you at a time in college football where i think there's a premium to be paid on that in the portal era and especially this late in the cycle i know there were brian kelly rumors from a while ago that i'm sure people are going to re-up i'm sure lance leipold who's gotten a couple of calls from this offseason a guy who's got some ties up in the midwest in that area is probably going to get a call on this but I, I think you've got a really compelling candidate in-house yeah. who would be able to shepherd you through what's likely going to be some tough years once the NCAA does come calling well I, I I agree between that and Michigan lost their coach and what have we seen of other big time schools and I'm going to get to in a second mm -hmm. lost their coach how many players hit the portal so if you can keep it somewhat the same and Sharon has a great relationship with the players they, they love that guy uh, that maybe that helps in not having a disbursement of players all of a sudden. Some are going to leave. It happens every year to even the best team. Some are going to leave. But I think to keep the ship from, you know, going off course too much, you go right in-house there. And then, like I said, it'll depend on the staff of how much, uh, how many people Jim takes, if he takes anybody, or if some of those uh, assistants get hired somewhere else. But I, I hope they do that. I hope, I hope Sharon is the guy. They would need to make that decision pretty quickly, I would imagine, as, as time keeps going on this. Also, I haven't done the research, but I feel pretty confident in assuming this, even though you're not supposed to assume. We've had, what, 10 years of, of, the, uh, of the playoffs? Uh, and yeah. of the four teams left all the time, I'm going to go ahead and say that this is the year that the most coaches were not there afterward. I mean, three of the four coaches that were yeah. in the playoffs are gone, are gone. Nick Saban retired. Jim just went to the Chargers, and and uh, Kalen DeBoer went, left Washington, went to Alabama. Steve Sarkeesian is the only coach standing from the final four. I'm just going to go on a limb and say that's the most coaches at left uh, from a final four group in, a, in this era. Yeah, we will, We don't need to check with anyone at Stats no. or anything like that. I, I think we can comfortably say that's the most that we've seen there. And uh, yeah, it, it cr creates an interesting setting in college football because that's the four-team playoff. It's not even like we lost three coaches from the 12-team right. playoff group. Everybody got up and left the table after this one. So yeah, it is. And uh, Jason Fitz asked this question. At some point in the show, we can kind of visit this is from that standpoint Jim Harbaugh does also leave behind a void of personality he was a guy that was quirky that had you know the sleepovers at recruits houses and the satellite <laughs> camps that ticked everybody off and just in general was a, a football guy of the highest order that always gave us something interesting to chew on as the public and now 
now he's gone and in a sport in college football that like college basketball like a lot of college athletics where the coaches are the ones with more staying power and the ones we're used to seeing out front there are a lot of changes in terms of the personalities lost and who ends up becoming the faces of college football now I still think there's plenty of incumbents around Dabo Swinney when Clemson's up and running is an extremely polarizing candidate Kirby Smart's the final boss now you've got Lane Kiffin poking everyone with a stick still down there while the Dan Lannings of the world kind of ascend so I still think college football is in a good place with that but there's no doubt it's gonna look different now and uh NFL uh, let's put it this way Jim Harbaugh and the Chargers social media team that might be the best match made in heaven of all of this right now one of the most powerfully online admins now gets content gold handed to them All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. 49ers are facing the Lions this weekend, the NFC Championship. So we got a Niners legend joining us right now. Three Notre Dame dudes just hanging out together. The guys are joined now by Bryant Young. Yeah, Bryant Young, Super Bowl champion, NFL Hall of Famer. But as Jesse said, let's not bury the lead. One of the greatest D linemen in the history of Notre Dame football. And I I think very appropriately to start this conversation off, Notre Dame dad now, B.Y., you just dropped off your son Bryce in South Bend. He early enrolled there. He's a five-star DN prospect. He's got the whole world in front of him. But what was it like for you having to go there and drop off your baby boy now at your alma mater? Uh, bittersweet, sad, all the above, all the emotions were there. Um, really just uh, excited for him. Just he's, a, he's worked extremely hard for this moment. And to be a part of that and for him to come to this conclusion and make that decision for himself, we're just so extremely happy for him. He's put the work in and it's just beginning. So we're, we're excited for that next step for him. So, you know, I'm sure you've given him sage advice along the way as he was getting to this point. But, I, but I'm wondering if, if you could, right before you left, what, what was the last thing that you shared with him about, about his, his future experience at Notre Dame? <laughs> the, the last thing I shared with him is I did just like this. I was like, you, you have a legacy. You know, um, you had a great start, something beautiful. Now it's your turn to continue to write your own story and uh, create this legacy uh, for yourself. You know, regardless of how things started for you, like you have this incredible opportunity just to rewrite, not history, but just make this thing as big and, and, and great as you want it to be. And so I just wanted to make sure that I encouraged him to um, make good choices, uh, to take advantage of every opportunity and continue to work hard. Well, uh, you know, it's sage advice, and I hope he listened to you a little bit more than I listened to my dad at times as a young, yeah. dumb 17-year-old <laughs> yeah. kid who sometimes <laughs> pushed back on that advice. So it, it's all pretty good stuff, and I, I think he would do pretty well to listen. Um, uh, Brian, I saw you on the sideline of the 49ers and Green Bay Packers game last weekend in the divisional round there. The Niners gutted out a tough win there for you, someone that's been a part uh, of a Super Bowl in that organization. I saw a lot of your former teammates uh, from those groups were down there as well what is it about this team in particular this year that you think makes them capable of being able to do that same thing and close the deal here you know they're a gritty football team um they got great uh 
talent, personnel, and uh, anybody's bound to, to make a big play. Um, I like the way to just play together, great chemistry uh, first and foremost. But, you know, um, the win wasn't pretty. It's the playoffs. And the most important thing is that they found a way to win. You know, um, that, that team on the other side didn't do that. They didn't find a way to win. We just made one extra good play that helped us get that win. And so, you know, even though it's not pretty, we got a chance to advance to the next round in the NFC Championship. I liked our chances. I think the quarterback <clears throat> did a fantastic job just in terms of creating something to put the team in position to, to win. And so he hadn't really done that before. I think that's what he needed to have confidence as he moves forward. But I think the Kings are out. Uh, the guys are, are, are going to play well, just learning from the last game, not dwelling on it. But you got to make sure that you keep thing, the most important thing in front of you. Do what it takes to win. Make the play. That's all it is. Find a way to do it. We're, this is a team, Brian, each year we talk about having maybe the most complete team. And they've gotten close. NFC Championship games into a Super Bowl and lost a few years ago. Is this a team that, that with the talent they have, needs to close this deal? Or are they going to be looked mm -hmm. at as you're kind of underachieving if you don't get to that status? Well, I think it be, can be said, you know, they've been in this uh, position before where they've, they have advanced and then just uh, unfortunately they weren't able to get the win against Kansas City uh, a few years back. But I think they're in great position. They have the team to get uh, to get a, to get a, a championship. Um, this is a, a, a team that was built uh, over the years. You know, guys have gone. Um, they've replaced guys. I think it's the, it's the right people. Um and the time is now. I think Kyle, um, you know, with what he's done and, and John and how they built this team and how they've cohesively, uh, the great chemistry that they have in building this team, this is this is a team that's built to, to win. And so uh, the time is now. I think they're going to capitalize on, on, on this year and, and this type of team that they have uh, with the guys in that locker room. You mentioned the quarterback there. Brock Purdy has been a lightning rod in the discussions around the NFL because he's a guy that came out of nowhere as the last pick in the draft. He might not be as talented as some of his peers that are also playing on championship weekend. Uh, listen, you want a Super Bowl with a guy in Steve Young that's one of the greats of all time. Certainly not asking you to compare him to Steve, but what do you see in Brock Purdy that's been able to make him so successful early on in his career? You know, he's for a young guy, he's pretty poised. Uh, I think the game is not too big for him. Um, I think he does an excellent job executing the run of the defense, the offense, the way it's supposed to be ran. Uh, he's utilizing all the weapons, going through his first, second, and third reads and his progression. Um, and when he has to, I think uh, just taking the chances to extend plays a little bit more, maybe go go run and get that extra a yard or, or a first down. Um, but I th think he's doing a fantastic job. The game is not too big for him. He's poised. Uh, he's confident. And uh, he's under control. And so that's what you want in a quarterback. And I think he's the guy, you know, for a young guy that no one gives a chance to win, I think he's the guy that's going to get it done. I, I like I like how he's handled things. I like how he's handled the pressure. And, um, you know, nothing rattles him. Brian, uh, you and I, the only thing we have in common is we had DL after our name in the NFL. The careers went separate ways uh, from there. You ended up in the Hall of Fame. I did not. But we had to chase quarterbacks. And facing a guy in my era, like, now I, there were running quarterbacks, but what you see Lamar Jackson doing in Baltimore would scare the hell out of me in trying to catch him. Who was the guy? You played from 94 to 07. Who was that guy when you were playing that was like, oh, my God, if he takes off and run, is he tough to catch? It, you know, we didn't, we didn't have too many um, guys in our, in our league at the time until Michael Vick came. And, and Michael Vick really changed the game. And, uh, you know, um, Brad Culpepper was that guy a little bit who could run, but mostly he was a pocket passer. But when Michael Vick came, I, I tell you what, he really changed the scope of the game um, just in terms of what he could do with his arm. And then just, you know, being able to take off and extend plays and, and become that extra back that you don't really account for as a quarterback. Um, he was the guy you had to worry about. Um, when he was back in the pocket, 
you had to make sure you had tight rushes, make sure you didn't get too high in rushes on the edge, make sure you're collapsed on the pocket, and uh, keep them in, in contained in the pocket. <clears throat> and so you had to be very cautious in, in terms of how you rushed. If you got too undisciplined, um, he could hurt you for sure. Uh, yeah, I'm sure the prospect for this weekend of rushing a guy like Jared Goff is a little more appetizing for the defensive <laughs> line for the 49ers than having to track down Mahomes or Lamar Jackson. So uh, I could see Bryant Young licking his chops, and I'd imagine uh, the 49ers D-line is going to try. They're going to have to go through that great Detroit Lions offensive line first, though, uh, to try and get there. Uh, Bryant, we appreciate the time this morning. It was great to see you last weekend. Thanks so much. Congrats to you and your family on your son heading to South Bend. We're all excited to watch him work and uh, hopefully see you back around the dome plenty absolutely thank you guys thanks brian appreciate it it's always great seeing man guys like that come back around notre dame and their kids are playing it makes me feel really old again uh yeah. you know in seeing that but uh very cool you know very cool and there's been more than a few you know like brian Erlacher's son is going to notre dame so we're seeing a lot of nfl greats and their kids now heading off to notre dame well i mean you should feel old because your oldest son already went through all that and is now like 34 years old on the other side yeah it's true i guess i i guess i should feel old because i am old i, I guess i guess that that runs into a little bit you're, okay. you're the blueprint like yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. I appreciate that very much. <laughs> there, we, there we go. Some kind words to finish on from the, the Hall of Famer. We're dadding it up in here this morning. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Gojo and Golik. Let's talk about one of the QBs in the AFC Championship, specifically Lamar Jackson, who's had a monster season, especially on the ground. 148 rushing attempts, 51.3 rushing yards per game, five rushing touchdowns, 11 fumbles. I mean, guys, he's been incredible. Now, looking at this game, do we think that the Chiefs are in a better position to handle Lamar on the ground than perhaps the Texans were when you look at this matchup? <laughs> I, I would say so. I mean, listen, the, the Houston Texans statistically during the year, as far as their profile, were a good rush defense. And so personnel-wise, they were going to be ready for that. What D'Amico Ryans brought over schematically from his time in San Francisco certainly meshed pretty well right away. It was the back end that was more worrisome for them. But, Dad, just I think from a maturity of the football team standpoint, you saw the youth in some critical moments yeah. on display yeah. uh, in, that, uh, in that game the other week for Houston as the game went on. There's none of that worry with Kansas City, and especially a defense helmed by, um, uh, by who they've got there and Steve Spagnola. They're going to be prepared, and they're going to, I think, have to make the choice, Dad. I'm curious for your thought on this because I've been asked a bunch this week. What do you try and do? What do you try and make your focus if you're the Kansas City defense going up against what this Ravens offense has become? And to me, I think with all of the new tools and elements the offense has added, it's still got to be at the very base level of it here. You can't let Lamar Jackson's legs be the thing that beats you the way that we saw it for Houston last week. I think you've got to take that away first, try and make them one-dimensional on the ground, and then work everything else from there. So there's two different ways. And, and, and listen, you're right. 
Um, Kansas City is more prepared than Houston, but that, that doesn't mean they're going to have success, right? I mean, they were middle of the pack in the regular season against the run. They're actually yeah. giving up more yards in the playoffs against the run, I think, than they were in the regular season. So how do you play now? to the Buffalo Bills this last weekend, right, I believe. Right, right. So even in my era, we did have some running quarterbacks, and there were ways, not as many where they had planned runs. Okay, they split it, spread it out really well, did Baltimore in their game. Lamar had 11 carries. Justice Hill had 13. Gus Edward had 10. And even Dalvin Cook got his feet wet a little bit and had eight carries in this game. Now, they had a big lead in the second half, so they could do a little more. But the biggest difference, Mike, is how we normally dealt with uh, quarterbacks, and even even in Bryant Young, who we just had on's era as well, is you dealt mostly mostly with a a a active quarterback when he broke the pocket. Here you're yeah. getting planned runs. So for me, the, I I try and keep the game as simple as I can. All right, it's not rocket science. They have planned runs with Lamar Jackson. And when you have planned runs, you have an extra blocker in the running back unless you're faking it, unless you're running some kind of an option where, where you lose that a little bit. It's, and this may sound simple. It may sound it can't be that easy. Play your responsibility and beat the man in front of you. I mean, the, the game, as much as we want to chess match it, you know this, Mike, if you don't beat that guy in front of you, he's going to come off and make the tackle. If I don't beat that offensive lineman and I'm not in the B gap, where I'm, my responsibility is the B gap, whether they run at the B gap or they run away from me and cut back to my gap, if I'm not there, that's on me. So on planned runs, those, quite honestly, should be easier to defense because you see them on tape, you know formations, play your responsibilities. You know, if he's faking to the running back, don't crash down if you're the D end. Don't just crash down and say, I want to make the play behind the line of scrimmage because he's going to pull the ball and have an easy run around the corner. Or just in a power, a quarterback power run, he's going to have that extra blocker. So normally that safety's got to come up and be able to take that blocker out. So to me, the planned run should be the easier thing. And nothing's easy against Lamar, don't get me wrong. But you've got to play your responsibility to it. The tough part is when you lose contain on a pass. Because now he's got a two-way go. Depending on your coverage, right? Zone, man, man, hell, you're in trouble. Because people normally have their back turned and he's gone. And please, don't get into a spy. Don't spy. If you spy Lamar Jackson, you're wasting a player. Because he is not tackling Lamar in open space. So I think that's a waste of a player. So if, it, if it's man, it could be Katie by the door. If it's zone, now you're making a decision if you're in zone. As he's coming to the line of scrimmage, he puts you in that position of, do I have to go up and take him or do I hang in my zone because he's going to dump it off? And he's got the two-way street on you. So it depends. The toughest thing, as I said, was when they break the pocket, when it turns into the scramble where he can beat you with his arm or legs, that's the problem. The planned runs, it's just you got to beat your man. You got to fill your hole. You got to be in your gap. Yeah, I, I think Lamar always tests your discipline because so much yes. of football can be boiled down to you're trying to put players in conflict. And whether that was the triple option for so many years, the most basic level of football, or whether it's most recently when you think of run pass options, the whole idea is we're trying to get one defender and make him uncomfortable with what we're doing schematically. Lamar Jackson is one man conflict. Every play that he is yeah. out there, you have so many variables that you have to account for, and especially this year now because Todd Munkins put him under center more. We saw it, Dad, the perfect example of what you're talking about and why it's so difficult is normally people think about that when Lamar Jackson's in the gun and it's a read option look and he's staring down the D end and they're trying to figure out put him in conflict. We saw them not only have a fourth down pivotal play where Lamar Jackson lines up under center, there's the fake and they pull him back around running behind Ronnie Stanley for a pivotal first down on a fourth down and then a touchdown later on. You have always got to be aware of where he 
he is because they're always a second away from using his legs to be the first thing that cuts you off. But that's just as important what you brought up in the past game too because with Lamar Jackson now, it's always been, yeah, you're worried about him breaking contain. You saw some of the youth of the Texans defense also show up. A guy like Will Anderson Jr. crashing down a little bit too hard. Lamar Jackson can break contain and now you're having a bad time. You french fry when you're supposed to pizza. But at the same time, the Texans also did a good job of trying to heat them up early in that game. And Lamar Jackson has been so adept at standing in the pocket, making throws this year. He's been an absolute assassin in the intermediate area. And you saw him stand and take hits and deliver inside the pocket, buy time in there and make some clutch throws. And so it really is so much you have to worry about that you're right. You've got to start at a base level with, all right, how are we just going to make sure that this guy doesn't run wild all over us? And who knows? It seemed like for the Bills, they were almost kind of, I don't want to say comfortable. At some point, you give the Buffalo Bills credit for being able to run it down their throat, but you focus so much in that game on making sure they didn't hit the big plays downfield, allocating resources that way so they couldn't beat you like that and let Buffalo just bleed clock on the ground. I don't think that's going to work out nearly as well for the number one ranked rushing attack in football. So what they do so and a way to stop it <clears throat> is is disrupt, right? So for this this and that that's a guy like Chris Jones to disrupt. Yeah. If you can stop the flow of north and south and and make a back hesitate and go east and west and when I say back I mean Lamar Jackson as well and let your secondary come up and help that that's obviously a huge key. So keep them out of the flow of their normal run game and make them have to adjust. That's I don't know how to, to keep saying it. It's it's one on one situations. It's making penetrations. It's beating your guy. It's forcing them who who gets to stay in their norm from an offensive side and a defensive side. If you're just running your plays, running your your power one way and you got a cutback lane or you got a power, you got an outside run and and it's all flowing, you know, continuously for you and you're not getting hit to the second level, you're screwed. So it's incumbent on Spagnola as as the defensive coordinator, how are you going to disrupt that? And from the passing side, listen, uh, I mean, Kansas City is, is uh, by scoring defense, one of the better defenses. But how do you get to the quarterback? How do you keep him in the pocket? Do you have guys that can chase him down? Rarely anybody has a guy that can chase him down uh, at all. So this is a tall task. There's a reason Lamar is going to be the MVP. And there's a reason, at least I'm picking uh, Baltimore to win this game. Lamar is just too big of a weapon right now. It, it, it's it's getting scary at this point in the week because almost everyone I talk to is saying they're picking the Ravens. And anytime everyone's aligned yeah. on one side, I get nervous. And that's before you stare across at the other sideline and yeah. realize that Patrick Mahomes lives there. We should all be very, very afraid at what the Chiefs could potentially do this weekend. So in talking about the Baltimore Ravens coming up this weekend, Dad, it's hard to ignore their potential win that could come in this round of head coaching hirings in the NFL. We mentioned before there were eight jobs available. There are four left now in Seattle, Washington, Carolina, and Atlanta. And the way it shook out, Jim Harbaugh coming from the college ranks, Antonio Pierce staying and getting the interim tag taken off in Las Vegas, Brian Callahan taking the job in Tennessee, who I don't think was one of the names that was near the top of at least the publicly discussed list of coaching candidates that we had this offseason. It's really interesting to think about teams that are left right now the Detroit Lions Ben Johnson their offensive coordinator who they said was a coup that they got to hang on to him this last year yeah. Mike McDonald the defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens that everyone expected to be in demand hell Greg Ro or uh, uh, Todd Munkin excuse me their offensive coordinator that they got this year that has helped revitalize that offense a little bit they got to be looking around going all right, this game of musical chairs is starting to get pretty late yep. early. If you're able to hang on to those candidates for another year in all those spots, Dad, it, it completely changes the dynamic a lot, in a lot of ways going forward. But it's kind of been amazing. Have you been surprised the way that this coaching cycle has shaken out, given those names all seem to be ones we thought we were going to be in demand? Yeah, I, I think the one name right now, because I, I, we, we all figured Harbaugh to Chargers, right? 
And we all hoped Antonio Pierce was going to get the interim tag taken off, and he did. And once Belichick left, a lot of us thought, well, is Vrabel going to go there, or will they go with Gerard Mayo? And and turns out he had that deal in his contract. Yep. So those were three least surprising. The Brian Callahan one got us caught us off, off guard a little bit, right? Because everybody was talking about Ben Johnson. Now he's still obviously coaching, you know, with, with Detroit. And Atlanta is interviewing everybody in the world for a second time. So as we talked about last week, there's only X amount of chairs. In this case, there were eight and there were four left. There's a hell of a lot more than four candidates out there. So some are going to keep circling the musical chairs and not have a seat. Uh, so it, it is getting interesting now. And, and one of the more interesting things to me, Mike, is Bill Belichick, four jobs taken, he doesn't have a job. And what we thought was a, a given, almost a given, to Atlanta, all of a sudden seems like that's not, not only not a given anymore, but may not even be happening anymore. Now, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I don't know what the conversations are of what Bill's asking for, what Bill wants, or the reports that Arthur Blank likes Bill and wants Bill, but the rest of the organization is kind of like, ah, I think we need to go in a different direction. But the goat right now of a coach who still wants to coach, four jobs filled, four jobs left, he still doesn't have a job. There's no way he gets out of this offseason without a job if he wants one, right? Because you could ask the question, you know, obviously Atlanta, it's a pretty one-track thought process for Bill right now, most of our minds, right? You've brought it up, trying to get Don Shula's all-time wins record, being as close as he is right now. That seems where he wants to be, but what he wants that comes along with it. One of the things we didn't get to discuss before with the Chargers job is Jim Harbaugh's probably going to have final say on the roster. They don't have a GM right now in Los Angeles, and they hired the coach before, which is kind of telling. Terry Fontenot's in Atlanta at this point. So for Bill Belichick, we heard about the end of his Patriots tenure. He mentioned being open to not having as much personnel control anymore. We don't know if that's extended to other organizations. But, Dad, all of a sudden, if you're Bill Belichick and your goal is to get to that wins point here and the Atlanta job gets taken and, and there's flaws in the Atlanta job as well. You don't have a quarterback of the future on the roster in that team. The defense improved massively, though. You've got a bunch of great skill players that you've drafted in the top 10 over recent years. But outside of that, if you're Bill Belichick, you taking the Carolina job if you can get it? You taking the Washington job if you can get it, given the state of those organizations right now? I mean, what if that's his only choice? Now, Washington has a number two pick, so you know you're starting over with a quarterback there, right? Carolina doesn't have a pick because they traded away, but they have supposedly their quarterback who they're just starting out with right now because that's one of the other things is you look at the, what's the best job available that's left. Atlanta, Carolina, Seattle, Washington. So we always say, who set a quarterback? Well, Carolina has a second-year quarterback. Washington's going to start over a quarterback. Um, uh, Atlanta is looking for a quarterback, but they don't have – I don't think they pick until 10, I believe. Yeah. And Seattle has Geno Smith right now. So uh, w- what's the best job out there? And there's four jobs left. You know Mike Vrabel's getting one of them, right? Vrabel's getting a job. And then there's there's Belichick and this Pete Carroll's name out. We haven't heard Pete Carroll's name anywhere. I know he has a position in Seattle, but you, we all believe he wants to still coach. So there's three right there for four left. Now, I don't know if those three get the jobs. I don't know about Pete. But there's a hell of a lot of O&D coordinators out there that are interviewing that are, that are not going to get a job. So this is getting really, really interesting. I would maybe lean towards Seattle or Atlanta as the next best job uh, going out there with with Seattle. You have Geno Smith. I I don't know how long that's going to be, but you got a hell of receivers on the offensive side of the ball. In Atlanta, you got, you know, some great offensive talent there, but you're looking for a quarterback. So you could probably have a good discussion on which is the best one left. But like I said, in an era where you see the new first-time head coaches, we have one uh, oh, I, I'm sorry, we don't have one. We have we have three. Uh, three. Antonio yeah, Pierce three. is kind of that that interesting area, uh, but Brian Callahan, you know, was the one that kind of really surprised us a little bit. As I said, there's going to be a lot of newbies out there looking for a gig that aren't going to get one. 
Yeah, which could be a huge win for a lot of teams looking to maintain yes. the continuity that they've built for Detroit. This is huge. We always wonder what the dismount might look like from Ben Johnson. Lamar Jackson's done so much quality developing, and that passing attack in Baltimore has developed so well. Getting a one and done with Todd Munkin would have seemed like a tragedy. Mike McDonald's defense has been the you know uh, the darling of the NFL this season. Um, put a bow on one thing: Atlanta, the eighth pick in the draft upcoming now, and so some decent. Oh, I'm sorry. To right, work right, with right. There. I think I agree with you, Dad. Overall, if you're looking for an organization that's been competent and is healthy in the right spots, Seattle does seem to be one. you got to overhaul the defense, and so that's certainly a concern. You've got to do a better job of getting pass rush there, whether that's personnel, scheme, or otherwise. But I think that would probably be if you're looking to go in and have immediate success. And again, for a guy like Bill Belichick, I do wonder what the premium on the ability to have immediate success is, given his age and what his goals are. So, and do we even know if Bill is interviewed with any other team, with Carolina or Not Seattle or Washington, or is it just Atlanta? And you look at the list, Atlanta has got a second interview with probably 10 coaches out there. They're just, they're just firing them off, bringing people in now that you can, you can meet face-to-face. So this is getting really, really interesting. It's, it's one of those things, too, where you look at these situations, and I think we all need to do, be cognizant of the game. Like, there was a thought, you know, with Jim Harbaugh taking the job as late as he did, I'm sure part of it was using the Falcons and some of the other interviews, using the Michigan contract as leverage to try and get the most that he can when we see the contract numbers out of the Los Angeles Chargers and the money there. Uh, the same could be true here. Bill Belichick, as soon as he left New England, we started hearing Atlanta. That started to be something that came up a lot. And so you wonder if maybe part of this is the power struggle if you're Atlanta, who is always going to be disadvantaged coming in, right? You know, the 28 to 3 memes aside, Bill Belichick's the greatest NFL coach of all time, walking into an organization that has been a loser for quite some time now. And so I wonder if part of this is maybe Atlanta trying to play a little hardball, understanding the market's not super great out side of them for jobs right now and and if the reports are true that ownership wants belichick but management isn't too sure you just wonder if they're just firing through all the candidates to try and say listen yeah we think this one is better or that one is better that there's that there's internal conflict in atlanta on which way they want to go and just bringing in a lot of candidates just to say, hey, to ownership, we think this guy might be better than Belichick right now. It's it's a weird dynamic, one we have not been through, one we have not been through with a coach as accomplished as Bill Belichick, though the last few years not as accomplished, obviously, and we see some of the warts there So, it, it, in, in seeing another team want to really take a chance with him or not. It's amazing. And I mean, we didn't even get to half the other coordinators. You mentioned everyone Atlanta has been speed dating through Ajiro Evero, the defensive coordinator from the Panthers this last season, Raheem Morris, a former head coach in the D.C. for the Rams this year, Bobby Slowick and everything that's gone yep. on with that Houston offense. Another one of those darling names that might now be a year away for a lot of these candidates because of what we've got hanging in the balance is I think kind of like what we saw with Jim Harbaugh and the Chargers. I think the simplest solution and the simplest answer is still going to be Bill Belichick winds up in Atlanta. But right now, we're seeing every bit of the resources exhausted. 